Thank you, Michelle, for that warm welcome. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you here on this brisk Sunday morning. Like Michelle said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time. I see some new faces here this morning. So glad to have you here with us this morning. Also welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Well, I just want to make one quick plug for beginnings. Our beginnings classes, our membership classes, our informational uh, membership class that we have each quarter. And this is an opportunity for those of you who are new to the church, those of you just trying to figure out if this is the place for you. Maybe you've come a couple times. Maybe you've been coming for a couple months, and you're wondering if this is the place where you're supposed to set down some roots. Well, we have this quarterly class as an informational membership class for those of you who uh, want to hear our story, want to have an opportunity to ask some questions about who we are so you can try to make an informed decision as to whether or not you'll make this your church home. This class is for you. And so we need you to sign up by today if you're interested in coming to beginnings class because we need to make arrangements for food. If you need child care, just note that as well so we can have somebody on hand uh, to watch your children. But you need to sign up today. I also want to let you know about our uh, Easter weekend that's coming up in two uh, weekends. Easter, we we call it the Super Bowl of Sundays for us. Uh, Lots and lots of people who usually don't consider or think about faith are interested in faith around Easter time. And so we want to capitalize on that and invite them to our Easter weekend services. And so we've made it super easy for you to do that. If you're on Facebook or you follow us on Twitter, you know that we have electronic invitations that you can share and and give to your friends and family. But we've also printed a bunch of these invitations. Many of you took these last week, and you've been handing them out. Um, And so this is just a really, really simple way to invite people to our Easter weekend services. We have a Good Friday service, but it's the 14th, and our Easter Sunday morning service at our regular time here at 1030. And we're having an Easter egg hunt after the service for the kids. I imagine that some big kids might filter into those games as well, but plenty of candy. And so why don't you invite your friends and family to that? We'll discuss that more and more as it comes, but these are unique opportunities to engage. One final brief announcement. Last week I mentioned that you will be able to soon give via text through your mobile phone. And so we've set that up. We've changed over our online giving services. Some of you got an email this week, uh, but you'll also be able to give at any point through uh, your mobile phone. It's a secure way to give. um, um, And so some of you are moving into a more modern age and you prefer to give this way. You just simply text SSVineyard, that's our keyword, to 77977, and it'll it'll reply back to you with a link to set this up. And it's really, really quick and easy. And so if you prefer to give through your mobile phone, you can do that from now on. We'll be mentioning that during our offering time. Well, for as long as I can remember, uh, I've been getting invitations to stuff, right? Uh, I've been getting invitations to stuff, and whether it be birthday parties, play dates, and people don't invite me on play dates now, but when I was, <laughs> in case you think that I'm some kind of strange person, uh, I don't get many play date invitations now. My kids certainly do. Uh, but weddings, parties, I'm a musician, so people inviting me to jam sessions. I get all tons of uh, sorts of invitations. I've been getting invitations for as long as I can remember. And some of them are been verbal invitations. Somebody just walk up to me and say, hey, I'm having this thing. You should come. Some of them have been written, and some of them have been mailed to me, and nicely written things. Some people invite me through text and other means. But whenever I'm considering an invitation, when it comes to invitations, Really, only two things matter, right? Two questions that I'm really asking about this invitation. And those questions are, who's inviting me? And what are they inviting me to? Um, you see, they can be inviting me to something that I'm interested in, but if the person that is inviting me is something, somebody that I don't like, or somebody that I hate, or somebody that annoys me, it's not likely that I'll attend what they're inviting me to. Uh, But sometimes the person who's inviting me is somebody that I like, somebody that I love, somebody that I trust. But the event that they're inviting me to is not something that I particularly care for. I like a whole lot of things, but there's just some things I'm just not interested in. Somebody this morning was telling me they had a Mary Kay party the other day. (laughs) Now, Mary Kay's fantastic. We have two Mary Kay reps here. I'm not throwing any shade on Mary Kay, but I'm probably not coming to your... Mary Kay party. I might buy some Mary Kay for my lady, but I'm not going. I like you. I love you. 
but the event just doesn't, it doesn't grab me in, right? But every now and then, you get this perfect combination of somebody that you like and love and trust invites you to something that really, really interests you and something that draws you in. Well, as people of faith, particularly people who have put their faith in Christ, something awesome has happened, right? We've been invited to something that is absolutely spectacular, absolutely transformational, the best thing that will ever happen to us. We've been invited into relationship with God, and we have been invited by somebody who is totally trustworthy, infinitely good, and so this is a really, really sweet deal for us. We've been invited by by the king into life with him. But it doesn't stop there. There's a progression uh, to this that extends beyond that initial invitation from Jesus to us. He challenges us to do what? To invite somebody else. Not only have we been invited by the king into his kingdom, by Jesus who is infinitely good, into rich and satisfying new life with him, but we've been challenged to invite other people to come and do what? Experience Jesus. To experience Jesus. Now, this is super important for us because if you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been, we're in the middle of a series that we've simply been, been, been calling Go Tell It. Go Tell It. And this is a series that is designed to help us wrap our minds around this whole thing we call evangelism. It's a really intimidating word. We've already unpacked that. Some of us are deathly afraid of sharing our faith for myriad reasons. Some of us just are intimidated. We don't want to be that guy, that Jesus freak in our office. We don't want to be that weird person pushing our Christian agenda on somebody else. Uh, some of us are insecure about this because we don't quite know what to say all sorts of reasons, and I've just been trying to make the case over the last few weeks that this is really, really important, that whatever is keeping us back from proclaiming the good news about who Jesus is and telling our friends and family and those that we bump into, whatever is keeping us back, we need to press through that and get over it. Now, I don't say that callously. I don't say that with, with, with insensitivity. But the goal of this series is to create a sense of urgency for sharing the gospel. And we've started at the beginning of the series by just unpacking what the good news is. And we did that by framing what the bad news is. We're lost. We're broken. And while we were broken and lost, Jesus died for us and redeemed us by the power of the cross. That's the good news. We continue by talking about um, the, the, being a, a Christ-like fragrance in the world around us. People who smell like Christ, not actually smell like him, but we represent Christ wherever we go, such that when people look at us and when they interact with us and they observe us, they say something different about this person. They're salt, they're light, as Jesus says. And last week, there was another important installment of this series that we were simply uh, uh, calling Go Tell Your Story. And we were talking about the power of your testimony, your story in this whole thing that we call evangelism. You may not be well-versed in the gospel, may not know tons of scriptures, but you know who you used to be before Jesus found you. You know what Christ has done in your life, and minimally, God is calling us to do what? Tell our story. Well, today I want to continue this series by talking about the power of, of invitation, the power of invitation. And I'm simply calling this message this morning, come and see. Come and see. Put a different way, come and check it out. Jesus often offered this uh, uh, invitation to other people. Come and see, as we'll see even in the passage that we read today. Come and see. Come and check it out. My father used to always say, I can show you way better than I can tell you, right? In other words, I can tell you about it, I can talk to you about it, but if I can get you to experience it, if I can get you to come and see it for yourself, it'll make all the difference in the world. And so Jesus says to us, come and see, and he charges us to say the same thing to others, come and experience life with Jesus. And so we're going to try to drive this home today with a passage of Scripture, John chapter 1. If you would turn with me to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you today, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your row. Feel free to use those this morning. Uh, Also, if you don't have a Bible uh, that you understand, 
that you can understand, feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us to you. John chapter 1, you can also follow along on your phones and tablets. That's perfectly okay here. John chapter 1, while you find it, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the invitation that you've extended to us to come and see and experience you. New life, the hope of heaven. We thank you for that. Lord, we also accept your charge to go out and invite others. To call them in to come and see what you're doing. To help them understand and experience what we've experienced. Lord, would you give us boldness? Would you give us courage? Would you create a sense of urgency? Would you make a case for this this morning so, Lord, that we would respond to what you've called us to do? Put power on this message that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 35. The following day, John, that's John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. He's talking about Jesus. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and said, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? It's kind of an odd question. Verse 39, come and see, Jesus says. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard, that John, heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, sorry, Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come and follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man. Then one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. And so this passage is interesting. There's a lot going on here. And as I was preparing this, I had to read this a whole lot of times because there's a lot of names in here. And I had to get it all straight. So I want to acknowledge at the outset, there's, there's a lot going on in this passage. And if your Bible is like mine, your Bible has these little sort of subject headings above the various chunks of Scripture. And in my Bible, it simply says, the first disciples. And so this is an account, this is John's account, of the first disciples being selected and drawn to Jesus. And so what stands out, uh, particularly in this text, particularly given our subject for today, is that this passage is full of invitations. It's full of invitations, full of instances where it's either implied or actually said, come and see. And I think this passage will be helpful for us as we develop and try to develop in this church a culture of invitation, a culture of inviting others, actively inviting others. I think this passage will really help us. And so I want to pull out five important things that happen here in this passage so that we might understand the tremendous power of invitation and what God wants to do through those things. The first thing I see in this passage is that John points to Jesus. John points to Jesus. John's the first person that we are introduced to in this passage, and it's super important that John points to Jesus. Verse 35 says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus walked by. John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. 
When John 2's disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, on first read, this looks really bizarre, right? Because here are, here's John sitting with his disciples. These are his guys. These are his students. And so Jesus comes walking by, and John just says, hey, there's Jesus, there's the Lamb of God. And his guys leave him and go with Jesus. Now, under normal circumstances, this is like total disrespect, right? This is betrayal. He might say, hey, hey, where are you going, guys? You're my disciples. But who is John? Who is this John the Baptist? I like to say John the Baptizer. He wasn't Baptist. I'm fond of saying that he was a vineyard, right? He's not a Baptist. He's a baptizer. Uh, But he's the person who has been tasked with preparing the way for Jesus Christ. One of the most important people in the New Testament, John the Baptist. His name is mentioned some 89 times in Scripture. And he was tasked with introducing the nation of Israel to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Preparing them by announcing that the kingdom has come and that they should repent and turn to God. This is who John was. This is who John was. And so John's posted up with his boys. He's probably telling them something really deep and wise. And he notices that Jesus is coming by. And he says, look, the Lamb of God. And they go with him. And what this tells me is that John must have been a really good discipler. John, along the way, must have been telling them about Jesus over and over and over, pointing to him, saying, listen, this is God. And just a few verses before, somebody asked John if he was somebody important. He says, listen, I just baptized with water. But the dude that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to lace up his sneakers. John is saying, in other words, I'm just the hype man. I'm just getting the crowd ready. I'm just getting them warm. The guy that's coming is somebody that's going to be awesome. And so no wonder when John, you know, when Jesus passes by and John makes mention that that's the guy I've been talking about. That's the man I've been pumping up all this time. That's the guy who's really going to make it happen. It's no wonder No wonder that they up and followed Jesus. I just imagine that John might sit back with a satisfied grin on his face and say, finally, uh, they made the connect. My my job is done here. John says, I'm not the guy. And so this is super important for those of us who lead and for those of us who preach. If you've been around church any length of time, you know how easy it is for people to put you on a pedestal if you lead or if you have some influence or if you're gifted in certain ways. You know how easy it is to, be, to become the man. And frankly, it feels good to be the man. It feels good to be complimented. It feels good for people to hold you in high esteem. But hopefully when you come here, you know that Gino's not the man. Pastor David's not the man. Pastor Jordan, Pastor Nick, they're not the man. Jesus is the man. And so you you can scarcely hear a message here where Jesus doesn't come up. I don't care what we're talking about because it's not about us. We point to Jesus. And I think this has major implications for those of us who are parents too because there's so, I mean, the same type of thing that can happen in this setting can happen uh, in our relationships with our kids. And the challenge for us is to continue to point to Jesus, continue to point to Jesus so that when they get of an age where they can perceive him and communicate with him and listen to them and respond to him, that, you know, it's not this huge leap for them to connect with Jesus. And for those of us who just relate to other people and the world around us, we're always like John. We're always pointing to Jesus. Because what follows this occurrence, these guys leaving and going with Jesus, is a remarkable string of more invitations. It's absolutely fascinating if you have eyes to see it. So John points to Jesus and sets this thing in motion. And so these guys go and talk to Jesus, and something amazing happens, which is the second thing that I want to point out. Jesus makes time for John's disciples. Jesus makes time for these guys. And this is really, really important for me to know as I point people toward Jesus. I say, go talk to Jesus. Go pray about it. Go seek the Lord about it. To know that Jesus will make time for those that I send to him just puts my mind at ease. Knows that when I say to my son, I know you're distracted, go go, go talk to the Lord about it. So to know that Jesus will make time for my boy is something that is deeply meaningful to me. And so Jesus makes time for, for John's disciples, and I know this, is no, this comes as no surprise to John. Verse 38, 
says, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? Now, I would have been put off by that. I'd be like, fine, don't worry about it. But they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, that's kind of a weird question. Like, just imagine you walking down the street and somebody taps you on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm like, yes, can I help you? Hey, where do you live? <laughs> where are you staying? I'm like, get my pepper spray out, right? But one of the commentary writers uh, uh, suggested that this um, should be read a different way. They're not just simply asking this creepy question like, where do you live? They're probably more likely saying, you're probably busy right now. Can we catch up with you later? Can we swing by where you're staying? Because we want, you know, John told us that you were the man. We want to talk to you. Um, Can we catch up with you later um, so that we can talk? Jesus is an important guy, right? Sure, he has something to do, somebody to heal, some demons to cast out, he's got something going on, but Jesus says, come and see where I'm staying. Come and see, verse 39, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Now, this is super cool. This really important person, the man, says, you know what? I'm going to stop what I'm doing. Come and see. He invited them into his day, into his space. He said, come and see. Now, John doesn't tell us quite how they spent the day, but there's tons of Scripture that can help us, like, infer what they did, right? If I just imagine, you know, they got... The whole day to spend with Jesus, Jesus probably, probably showed them a really great time. Now, your idea of a great time and Jesus' idea of a great time is something different. You know, we go, okay, let's go down to the museum. Let's go to Portillo's, get a sausage. You know, let's go hit a bucket of balls. Jesus might have a different agenda. No doubt Jesus gave them a day-long intensive on the kingdom. He shared about his personal Mission, No doubt Jesus saw through them and read to them some of the secrets of their heart, answered their questions. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that Jesus made quite an impression on these men. We do know that they had a fantastic time with Jesus. And you say, preacher, how do you know they had a fantastic time? I know because they went and told somebody. I know because they went and invited somebody else to experience what they themselves had just experienced. And so when I ask you or when I ask myself, what impression has Christ made on me? I need only ask and answer the question, who have I told? We can't see a movie. We're in the movie, like third, you know, third through the movie, and we're texting people about how good it is. You can't finish, you know, the hamburger you're eating before you're, you know, taking a picture of it and tweeting out to everybody how delicious it was. Listen, we invite people and we tell people about stuff that has made an impression upon us. And the question is, if Jesus has made an impression on you, why aren't we telling people? Jesus has invited us into something that is life-changing, earth-shattering, deeply transformation. Why aren't we telling people? Why aren't we saying, come see He made an impression. And the evidence of that is what happens next. The third thing I want to highlight is that in Andrew invites his brother, Peter. Andrew invites his brother, Peter. Verse 40 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah which means Christ. And so imagine Andrew just saying, listen, dude, you got to come check out this dude. We had this wild experience with Jesus. John told us he was a man. We were a little skeptical, but we went, and this dude blew our mind. He told us all kinds of stuff about us. He prophesied to us. We saw him heal a couple of people. It was crazy, dude. Just you got to come and check this out for yourself. And so in verse 42 says, uh, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, 
Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said to him, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, or later we find out that Peter means rock. Now this is, this is, this is, this is a very significant moment. Something super incredible is happening. And while we're focused now on Peter, I'm, I'm still stuck on Andrew. I'm still stuck on Andrew. In my mind's eye, I imagine what Andrew must be, must be thinking, how he must be looking, how he can barely contain himself because Jesus is doing the same thing to Peter that he did to him. Have you ever watched somebody enjoy something that you invited them to enjoy? It's, it's remarkable. The look is universal. doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, what ethnicity you are. The look is the same. You say, hey, come try this sauce. It's the best. It's the best Italian meat I've ever had. Take a bite. And the person takes a bite, and they're like, oh, my God. The person is the back like, right? I, t- I told you it's good, right? Or somebody's watching a movie that you recommend, and they're laughing hysterically, and you're like, I, I told you, right? It was funny, right? I'm watching somebody enjoy something that I invited them to, and I'm looking at Andrew, look at Peter being completely read by Jesus. He said completely read. I mean, he's just talking of names. I mean, what's, what's significant about that? Well, we don't seem to care too much about names these days. We just want them to sound cool and look good, you know, on stuff. But in the ancient world, names meant something. And what you were named meant something. And you, you, you probably would embody that in your character as you grew to that because y- your name meant something. And so Jesus identifies Peter. I don't know if he sort of through the spirit, the power of the spirit knew his name. I, I don't know that. But he says, your name is Peter. But I'm going to call you something else. Your name's Peter. But I'm going to change your name. I'm sorry, your name is Simon, but I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means rock. Now, this is significant because one uh, commentator, writer, J. J. Vernon McGee, says that when Jesus first met Peter, Peter was as weak as water. I mean, it doesn't get much weaker than that, does it? And you talk about contrasting opposites. You think something as weak as water and something as, as, as strong and, in, and impenetrable and immovable as a rock these are two different things. So this is a significant upgrade, right? So it's, Jesus prophetically speaks something to Peter, calls him up to something, calls him to ascend to something where he's not currently already, not to mention but just the power implications of somebody changing your name. So the power implications. Even when you think about nicknames, like the powerful give nicknames, Right? Your boss comes into your office. He doesn't address you, David, Jacob, Maldonado. He might say, hey, Dave, even though you hate to be called Dave. He hates that, by the way. <laughs> but the powerful thing, nothing of it. I'm going to call you D-Money. There's a great closing that deal, D-Money. D-Smooth. We're going to call you D-Smooth. <laughs> I'm powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking nothing of you changing your name. The powerful do that. You know, your manager doesn't introduce you to the CEO. Say, hey, this is, this is John Smith. This is the CEO. Hey, Johnny, what's up, my man? You don't, you don't nickname up. And that goes down. This is a power move. But the best kind of power move is Jesus can see who you are, see what you are presently, and call you what you are. Call you up. And only Jesus can do that. Change this name, and Andrew is probably losing it. And I can just imagine the walk home. Andrew says, Pete, did I, can I call you Pete? Can I call you your new name? Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that special? Wasn't Didn't I tell you, dude, he was the real deal? Andrew was so moved by what Jesus had done for him that he went and invited Peter. And Peter wasn't disappointed because what Christ set in motion that day has had major impact on the entire entire world when we consider Peter's impact on the preaching of the gospel and the planting of churches and the, the outbreak of signs, wonders, and miracles, the extension of the kingdom of God well beyond Jesus' earthly death. This was a major event, but it wouldn't have happened were it not for his brother's 
invitation wouldn't have happened were it not for his brother's invitation. But we're not even done. There's more. Fourth thing we see here is that Jesus invites Philip. Now, he's like, who's Philip? This is an entirely different dude. Now, Philip wasn't brought to Jesus. Jesus just decided, I want to go out to Galilee. I want to go pick somebody now. Verse 43 tells us the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said, come and follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. But Jesus is like, I'm not going to leave all the inviting to you. Because up until this point, everybody had been brought to Jesus. John sent his guys. And Peter, you know, no, Andrew invited his brother, but Jesus went out and grabbed a hold of Philip. And this crazy cycle of invitations continue because Philip, so impressed by Jesus, does what? He invites Nathaniel. Verse 45, Philip went back to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Now, up until this point, everybody went kind of easy, right? They went kind of easy, like, come check this out. Okay, come check it out. Life changed, mind blown. Nathaniel, I mean, he doesn't put up too big of a fight, but he's got some, he got some questions. This is not so easy. And so some of us, we don't invite, we don't talk about our faith because we're scared that we might get a question that we don't know how to answer. Somebody might ask you about the complexity of good and evil, you know, free will. Why do, you know, bad things happen to good people? You know, what about dinosaurs, you know? Ask you something, and, and some of us get, you know, intimidated by that. Others might, you know, start stumbling and fumbling and mumbling and making up stuff. And so just this whole, you know, possibility that I might encounter something that I don't quite know how to answer or something that might make me look stupid or something that might discredit the faith, I just won't, you know, I just won't talk about it. So Nathaniel kind of says, hey, Nazareth. Um, you're trying to convince me that the Savior of the world comes from Nazareth? Maybe Nazareth doesn't mean anything to you, but you name a town that you don't think much of. I won't participate in that exercise because I don't want to offend anybody. But he said, can anything good come from over there? And so I imagine Philip's like, for a second, he's like, what do I say? <laughs> Eventually he says, I'll tell you what. Come ask him yourself. I tell you what, come, come and see. And I love how he didn't let that, he didn't answer the question. Maybe he didn't have an answer to the question. I mean, he just met Jesus himself. But he still said, you know what? Don't let that stop you. Come and see. And when you come and check it out, you can ask him for yourself. And this is so important because we don't have to have all the answers. It's helpful to have some answers. Helpful to know what you're talking about. It's helpful to, to study up on the possible questions that you might have and you have some pushback, gentle, healthy pushback for healthy objections. But I'm, I'm so glad that even as a preacher, I, I don't have to have all the answers. There's this great mystery to this thing we call the kingdom of God. There's great mystery to Scripture and all of the... I, I, sometimes I feel insecure because I feel like as a preacher, I should know more than I know. But Jesus can handle himself. And you know, I'm ruined for this, man. I've seen too much. I've seen too much. I've, I've experienced too much. I've seen hardcore uh, atheists and, and agnostics be undressed by the power of Jesus Christ. And I just go, man, that's not my job to impress you. That's not my job to go back and forth. Would there be some spaces where that's appropriate and where that's healthy and helpful? But generally speaking, I just, I just turn him over to Jesus. He's a big boy. He can handle himself. And so when I get stumped, when I don't know something, when I, hey, man, come and see. Come and see. And interestingly enough, 
to our fifth and final thing, Nathaniel does just that. He comes and he sees, which is encouraging because it suggests that even when you don't have the right answers, people will respond to a genuine invitation anyway. Nathaniel comes and he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. Verse 47, as they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. So he looks at Nathaniel as they're approaching him and he says, now this, this is a good guy. There's no guile. There's no deceit in him. And, and Nathaniel's answer almost seems kind of like arrogant, right? When somebody says something nice like that, you're supposed to downplay, oh, man, come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, man, I, I'm all right, I guess. Nathaniel goes, how'd you know about me? Somebody told you I was a decent man, Right? But, 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 but this, is, this, is, this is really remarkable because this isn't just Jesus kind of giving a, you know, exchanging pleasantries at the beginning of a first encounter. No, this, the way he addresses Nathaniel resonates with Nathaniel to the point that Nathaniel feels like there's something divine about Jesus knowing this about him. There's something divine about this. Jesus says, how do you know? And the thing is, how do you know about me? And Jesus just continues to turn up the heat on this thing. He says, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Verse 49, then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now, we can look at his responses and we can just deduce that Nathaniel doesn't perceive that Jesus sort of was walking past and observed Philip talking to him. This is like a power encounter that he's had, having. Jesus is explaining to him in some meaningful way that, that I saw you. I didn't see you with my eyes, but I know that Philip was talking to you in the same way that I know that you're a good, decent man. Now, what's interesting is uh, uh, that Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus right? But Jesus knew everything that he needed to know about Nathaniel even before he got there. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but it's super important to me that God is ready, that Christ is ready to receive anybody that I bring to him. Some people get, you know, God demonstrates his power by healing, but I've watched so many people. God just reveals a secret of their heart to them in a powerful, sort of prophetic way, and it just completely breaks the dam that, that, and it just flows. I've seen it happen over and over and over. Tough guy, too cool, come up for prayer, blah, blah, blah. and the Lord just speaks a word. And I say something like, I don't know, I, who, Who's Mary? Who's Mary? Is, is that name mean anything to you? And his eyes wide. And the Lord just revealed the secret of his heart. Praying for somebody one time, and the Lord, I think we were at a conference, I'm praying for somebody one time, and the Lord just showed me a picture of this huge, you know, this huge 10-pound bag of rice. Just the weirdest picture I ever got. And I said to this couple, I said, what's the deal with this big bag of rice? And they looked at each other and laughed, this kind of nervous laugh. And as we began to minister to them, it, it, they were just, they were stocked, they were storing up food. They had this unhealthy, you know, feeling that, you know, bad times were coming. They were just stockpiling all of this food. And the Lord just gave me this picture of this bag of rice and it completely like segued into an opportunity to minister. This is like the, the, the power of God, Right? And this is what's happening here. Jesus isn't trying to be impressive. He's not trying to show off his chops in front of Philip. He just knows that Nathaniel was skeptical from the beginning. He questioned whether Nazareth could be this, could something so significant come from someplace so insignificant. And Jesus knew that Nathaniel, though he was a righteous man, though he was a good man, that he needed to have a secret of his heart revealed in order for him to come all the way. And Jesus knew exactly what Nathaniel needed. And the same is true for any and everybody that we bring to the feet of Jesus, that we bring and invite to come and see. Jesus does not disappoint. He satisfies. 
And while he may not give you what you need, what, what, what you want, he'll always give you what you need. And this is what Nathaniel needed. This is what Nathaniel needed. And so the reality is our job is to just get people to Jesus. You hear nothing else in this story. Understand that our, jo- our job is simply to get people to Jesus. And Jesus is a big enough boy. He's the man. He can take care of the rest. Get people to Jesus. Invite them to come and see. And he'll do for them what he's done for you. He's done it over and over and over again. And so by way of wrapping this up this morning, I want to ask and answer the question, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to what we've heard and what we've read this morning? I want to give you a few things as I close. The first way to respond to this, particularly if you're going to condition yourself to be an inviter, is that you have to be a credible witness. And we've been talking about this a little bit over the course of you know, this series that, you know, the, the, the invitation, it really, a lot of it really hinges on the person that's doing the inviting. And so we've talked about the importance of proclaiming, but we've also talked about the importance of presence, who you are. Are you somebody that's likable? Are you someone who's lovable? Are you somebody who's trustworthy? Are you somebody who, is, you know, sprays off the fragrance of Christ? I see so many people doing Christian work, and they're, and they're just like, they're mean. They're cruel. They're belittling. They have an inflated sense of self-importance. And actually, their invitations are doing, they're doing harm. They're doing harm. So we're charged with being a credible witness. Listen, none of these invitations from John to Andrews, to Philip, none of these invitations would have been meaningful or as meaningful were these people not trustworthy people. Somebody that that person who was being invited can go and say, even if I might not like this, even if this might be wacky, Philip's a good guy. I'm going to go check it out. Jenny, she's, she's a nice gal. I'm going to check it out. Jim's a trustworthy man. I'm going to go, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to look into this. Be a credible witness. And this is character. This is about being relational, right? The second thing is be personal. Be personal. Be personal. Now, we take these invitations and we'll go take a stack and put them in sharks. Just have somebody grab at them. Owner will throw them away after, you know, three or four days. But there's something about this invitation when when it says, hey, come with me and see. Come with me and see. Something about a text say, hey, I was thinking about you this morning. I don't know what you're doing this morning, but I would love for you to be my guest at church this, this morning. I, hey, no pressure. Totally cool if you... I, mean, I don't know what state people are in. My job isn't to try to assess, you know, and get the, the skinny on who... But God has called me to invite And so I see the fruit of this all the time. I see my brother from my CrossFit gym back. I just gave him an invitation two days ago. I said, hey, come and see. And I see him here today, and I'm just thrilled. This stuff works, man. It works. And what God does in his life is completely up between him and God. But be personal. And that'll make sense depending on the context. I think it's also important to be specific, right? When I look at these invitations, they weren't just like, hey, go over there. Maybe you find them. It was like you were inviting people to something specific. Hey, come and check this out with me. And some of you know the specifics of the people's circumstances that you're dealing with. And maybe there's something in their marriage or maybe they're broken. And you're like, become and experience God. And I think that God will do a work in your marriage. Come and talk to pastor. You're having this issue. Maybe you can seek some wisdom. Come to small group. It's a single small group. You're struggling with healthy singleness. Come, come into, you, you're inviting them into something specific. And sometimes it's helpful to be specific about what you're inviting them to. Generally speaking, generally speaking, being specific, we're inviting people to experience Jesus. It's just like, hey, come, meet me at this building at 1030. Um, 
You don't be surprised that they walked into a church. No, I'm inviting you to experience what I've experienced. I'm being specific. Jesus has radically changed my life. I think he might have the same impact on yours. Whatever you're inviting to, be specific. And so this fourth and final one is a charge for all of us because many of us, as, as a part of this community here, we're, we're charged with creating spaces where people can encounter Jesus. Creating spaces where people can encounter Jesus. You know, we really, really, really work hard to make this service and all the ministries that we offer the type of opportunities where we're pretty sure that if a person came, they would meet Jesus. And some people who are new to our church have reflected, hey, there's, there's not a whole lot of stuff going on in this service. You preach, you sing, you pray. There's not a whole lot of programs, a lot of, you know, fruitless things happening. Because our goal is to create a place and provide a space where we are certain that if you came here, you will meet with Jesus. And anything that doesn't foster that, we simply, we simply won't do it. You simply won't do it. You say, but you guys are going to eat chicken wings tomorrow. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit dwells among. <laughs> now, something as unspiritual as men getting together and fellowshipping. I mean, some of you are here today because you've been invited to a men's night. And you didn't know Christian brothers got down like that. You thought we'd be there with our bow ties and suspenders, you know, <laughs> exchanging comic books. Nothing against comic books. I'm just, you know, and reading scripture, right? And you came, we were just regular guys. We were eating chicken wings and scratching stuff, and, you know, we were just being guys. And some people have reflected. <laughs> At least, I'm sorry. <laughs> and some people have reflected, man, you guys are just normal people. I mean, it's the best compliment I've ever been paid. Somebody said to me a while ago, I've always wanted a pastor who is just a regular guy. That's what I aim to be. I just aim to be a dude. I'm a dude like you. Nothing special about me other than Christ to save me and pull me out of my mess. I'm a guy, man, just like you. And so there's something deeply spiritual about fellowship and community life. And for somebody on the outside to be welcomed into that, it's deeply spiritual. It's one of the first steps into deeper community life. And so we are charged with creating space to do that. People come to me with ideas all the time. Hey, we should do this fundraiser, and we should do this, and we should do that. And I've gotten real good at smiling and saying, no. <laughs> we do a fundraiser every week. We take an offer. Okay? And these are great ideas, but that's not who we are. That's not what we do in this space because we want you to be confident that when you bring somebody here or when you bring somebody to the small group or when you bring somebody to a guy's night or a woman's night or, or a night of worship, that somebody has a really, really good chance of encountering Jesus there. And I'm talking to our small group leaders. When we shut things down, when it gets wacky. I'm not talking about, I mean, the Holy Spirit, stuff. that's kind of wacky, but that's like, that's good wacky. But we constantly are managing these spaces so that kingdom activity is happening here because it's so important that people can count on meeting Jesus when they come and they can count on their friends who they've invited coming into a space where people can experience Jesus, where we can experience Jesus. Be specific. Be specific. Be personal. Be a credible witness. And as, and as much as it, it, it involves you, create spaces where people can encounter Jesus. Now, we have a unique opportunity to practice this. Where's my invitation? We've got tons of these printed, We're doing Facebook marketing, shareable things. This is like, you don't have to do a whole lot of work. All you got to do is just say, come and see. All you got to do is share the image on your page. If God's done something through, you, through this community and has blessed you and it's made an impression on your life, it is spiritually criminal to keep it to yourself. Spiritually criminal to keep it to yourself. And some of you are challenged by this because this is going to be hard for you to say, come and see. Others of you are challenged because 
you, you sit here and you, you can't really put your finger on the ways that Christ has made an impression upon you. And so that's a, that's a growth point right there. The Dick says, damn, Lord, what, why am I here? What, what, should, what should be happening? When I'm in the gym and I'm doing something, the trainer tells me to do something, I often say, okay, where should I be feeling this at? To your lower back. I'm like, oh, I feel it up in my, behind my ear here. I'm, I must be doing this wrong, right? And so what I'm saying is if you're engaging Christian community, you should be being, be, being transformed. You should be becoming more like Jesus. You should be encountering Jesus. And if that's not happening, uh, that's, not, that's not to make you feel terrible, but that does let, let us know that something's not quite in the right place. Something's not quite right, working right. But it's my deepest desire, and worship team, you can come up as the pastor of this church, that we continue to develop a culture of invitation in this church. And as we grow, more and more people are being invited by word of mouth, by an actual person, and I want to see that grow and grow and grow, especially as we work out what it means to be evangelistic in our spaces. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your great invitation. Lord, we weren't worthy, nothing special about us. But you called us, and you're cleaning us up. But it doesn't stop there, Lord. You're calling us to invite others. And Lord, some of us, even as we, as we sit here now, Lord, we have faces and names of people, Lord, who you've been challenging us to reach out to. And Lord, help us understand that you will do the heavy lifting here. It's not our job to transform. It's not our job to change. It's not our job to do any of this stuff. Our job is to just help get people into your presence. Help them have an encounter with you. And so, Lord, you've impressed, you've made quite an impression upon us. And help us, Lord, to, to, to create some urgency around inviting others into that space. Where there's fear, Lord, give us courage. And as you give us courage, Lord, help us to understand what courage looks like is obedience to respond to the Great Commission, to respond to the charge to go and be my witnesses. Go and invite others. Go be fishers of men. Lord, help us to be obedient to you in that way. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.